1: This is The Antidote, and I'm Dave Hawkins. I have to tell you, I love the Tom Hanks movie, That Thing You Do. It's the one where a small-town band makes it to the big time, almost overnight. But that's not usually how it works. Most bands just keep plodding along at the steady pace, or they burn out, or they lose interest in making music. Then there's Namesake, who have an entirely different story. What's wild is that, 20 years after the band began, they've returned and they've released their debut album, the 20-Year First Impression, which included our opening song, Once Was and Always Will Be. I really wanted to hear their stories, so Eric and Matt of Namesake joined the antidote to give us the band's history and why they're back. Eric Apps and Matt Aragon of Namesake are here on The Antidote. Good to have you guys here.
3: Good to be Great here, Dave.
1: What inspired you guys to create a punk band?
0: Well, you know, we started the band, the first version of our band, gosh, we were probably sophomores in high school, and the original version of the band started from a youth group um, camp Excursion. It was right at the kind of the peak of the Christian punk scene. We were learning about bands like MXPX and Six Shoes. And uh, we just love that type of music. Um, and a few friends of ours got together at a church group youth camp and we had access to instruments. So we just started trying to emulate what we heard. Sammy, our other guitar player, had just started learning how to play the guitar. Um, Our original drummer and good friend Colin uh, and our original bass player, his name's Cable, we started a band called Free Sample. And that band started shortly after that youth camp trip. And Eric and I actually went to high school together. Now, Eric was somebody that was introduced to me as somebody that actually knew how to play guitar. So while the rest of us actually didn't know how to play instruments, Eric came in um, and was the true musician of the group. And uh, Eric, I don't know, what do you remember about the original days?
3: I remember uh, my girlfriend at the time said, hey, these guys at my church have this band. You should come hang out. And of course, they're having their fun thing. They don't want some stranger to join. but uh i did because i just moved to the area didn't really have a whole lot of uh network of friends or anything so i mean to this day any chance i get to play music i'm gonna want to go do that so i remember just showing up and i think i like hit sammy with his like he was taking his guitar off and somehow like to hand it to me and sometimes i hit him and i felt awkward and then fast forward like six weeks later we were all super close friends and playing music and doing the thing and it was definitely a highlight of that sort of range of my my life, for
1: sure. We're talking about the late 90s. And I really don't want to say you guys were kids, but you were young. Yeah. So your intentions with Namesake, did you plan on changing the world? Yeah, I
0: think so. You know, it, it's interesting to think back on, especially now revisiting it and, and putting out the new album all these years later. But that time of our lives, we were... Very much um, involved in our churches and our youth groups. Um, you know, for me specifically, I went to church, I went to school at the same church prior to high school. So a lot of my friend group was kind of in that bubble. Um, and then we all hung out with the same friends that were all kind of rooted in that church experience. So Of course, the heavy influence there was to change the world and to be evangelical and to have that sort of um, message. And at the time, as kids, when we're just kind of entering adulthood, that was um, basically the only true influence that we'd have had in life. And so initially, yeah, I I remember some of our earliest shows. You know, we played a lot of youth groups, and I remember being very evangelical um, the church kind of helped sponsor our band because they provide a lot of instruments and and our practice spaces. So we almost felt like it was something that we had to do. So very early on, yeah, we wanted to change the world. We were very idealistic. Um, and you know, I think over the years, um, our belief systems changed and evolved, and uh, in my opinion, I feel like we have become a little more relevant. I remember band meetings where we we're talking about, oh, when we get signed and we do these tours and everything else, we thought for sure we were gonna be you know, the next big thing and make it out of Goodyear, Avondale, Arizona.
1: Soundtrack comes from the early days of Namesake. I'd almost call it their theme song since it speaks about why the music and words in a song are so important. Next up is a great story from Matt. Well, since I live nowhere near Arizona, it was just recently that I heard about Namesake. And the info mentioned Matt Aragon, and I thought, Matt Aragon, why do I know Matt Aragon? And then it hit me. Matt Aragon was the song in the album by Dogwood. So that makes you famous. <laughs> you must have a story about that.
0: Yeah, you know, it's very interesting. So back in those days, you know, this is all pre-internet too. And I know Eric and I, we we would often talk about what kind of bands we liked, and we were constantly like trading CDs. and And if Eric found something that he liked, he would immediately share it with me and vice versa. And one of the bands that we found through kind of just uh, record store digging, or, you know, we'd listen to an album that we like and uh, read the liner notes and see which bands, the band we were listening to thanked in their album covers. And, and we'd go search for those albums. And through that process, we found Dogwood and Dogwood was, it was a big turning point in my life, both musically. And in, in terms of the personal impact that music can make, because I remember listening to their album *Through Thick and Thin* and thinking, "Wow, these lyrics are being written exactly for me." Like I felt seen and and heard, and I could identify so heavily with the content of some of their songs. And if you go back and listen to that, that album, some of it is is pretty heavy too. So um, I remember just like jotting down the addresses that were on the back backs of the albums. And I would just write letters to different bands. And Dogwood was a band that actually wrote back any chance that we had of actually playing shows in our little community. We had to proactively try to get bands to come through. And we're very lucky because our little town was right in between Phoenix and Southern California on the freeway. Mm -hmm. So I was somehow able to create some relationships with some of these bands Um, To where they would they would pass through our town and they'd play a show and we'd got on a lot of great uh, gigs that way. And um, through that, combined with, you know, me writing letters to to the guys from Dogwood, we actually formed a true friendship. And uh, I remember getting a call from the record label from Tooth and Nail Records saying, hey, Dogwood wants to name their album Matt Aragon. And I thought it was a joke at first. It ended up being true. And really what it was from Dogwood's perspective was, you know, there's a lot of people that have been af- positively affected by their music. So Matt Aragon, it was certainly a, a, a dedication, but really was a love letter to the fans. And Matt Aragon being kind of the the flag bearer on behalf of Dogwood fans that have been, you know, positively affected by the band. And and so it was a really great thing and it turned into a lifelong friendship. Eric and I went to this punk rock festival Josh uh, was with us he actually sings a song on the new album Um, his wife officiated my wedding and he actually spoke at my wedding so it's been a great friendship
1: you'd love to be immortalized in a song? That was the song Matt Aragon from Dogwood. Let's hear more about another namesake, Oldie. We can hear some of the early days of namesake on the demos and legacy recordings. Recording quality is kind of hit and miss on that release. (laughs) uh,
3: We've kind of always prided ourselves in uh, kind of the DIY spirit. Uh, Most of those recordings... We were able to just kind of talk our way into a studio. Some of the better ones are are done by Jalapaz, and he's he's a friend of mine and, and runs Audio Confusion here in town. He's been my buddy and kind of my mentor recording-wise for a long time. But yeah, a um, little hit and miss, that's that's being kind. As you yeah. know, our journey was being young musicians and learning to do things like play in time and also play in key. And you know, we went from a point where... You know, we are hitting some bad notes and out of tune to kind of getting better at our craft, as you can hear through the progression.
1: That album, or I guess maybe a collection is a better word, begins with Michigan Avenue. What's the significance of that street?
0: So Michigan Avenue was a street that one of my really good friends at the time lived on. And she wasn't quite a girlfriend, but it was a, a girl... Um, that I had become very close with and her family during a very weird time in my life. Uh, I just graduated high school. You know, my parents were getting divorced. Um, There was some drama in the church, and I was just kind of finding my way as a young adult. Uh, I had a friendship uh, with a beautiful young lady by the name of Caitlin, and her family kind of adopted me. During a really tough time. So we just became very close friends. um, And she lived on Michigan Avenue. And that's kind of where the name of that song came from.
1: Guys had mentioned about coming from a small place. So, how did you do shows, and where did you play?
3: We uh, we played everywhere we could, and and Matt was so good at generating these relationships with essentially our heroes at the time. I remember playing with the Huntington's uh, and these other bands, and if we didn't have a venue, we'd get a PA and we'd put the show on in Matt's backyard. <laughs> I, I, I remember like Noise Ratchet staying at my house at one point. Uh, At the time, you know, a lot of the music venues that were open to bands like ours were in churches. So we were playing a place called the Bright Star. We were playing Skyway. And it was just a really uh, positive spot for kids to get together and listen to music they liked. And uh, we were becoming reasonably well known, I guess, humbly said. Uh, And so we would kind of get asked to play on the bill with all these bands, the Dogwoods and the Craigs Brothers and the so forth as they were coming through town, Slick Shoes.
0: I'll just add on to, to that. In the very early days, we would practice and put on shows in our church. Uh, Sammy, our other guitar player, his dad is actually the associate pastor of the church that we were kind of home-based out of. And a lot of those early shows started there. And then we started outgrowing them. We started playing out, just as Eric mentioned. But then towards the end, we were playing in some of the more mainstream venues, Um uh, like the Nile Theater, I know for a long time, that was kind of like a bucket list place. Every good punk rock band that came through town would play at the Nile Theater. And um, that was like a bucket list place. And we got to play there a few times. So we were really um, kind of moving out from our dusty little you know venues, the west side of Phoenix and Glendale Goodyear and, and actually playing some of these bigger shows.
1: I want to pull in another song from those early days. When you guys recorded Question and Answer. And the song says, What must I do to be who you want me to be? So now you guys have had 20 years. Have you found the answer?
0: I think that's a question that we continually have to ask ourselves as life um, evolves. You know, the lyrics to that song was written when, you know, when I was very young. And I never felt like I was living up to the potential. I had a lot of um, Christian guilt, I guess, you know, being in that scene, but also being part of punk rock and also just being a kid and making mistakes and, you know, living life as a a teenager or, or in your 20s. You know, you you have this desire to go out and see and experience things. But then you also have the guilt of of like, oh, my God, it, did I really screw something up? Am I screwing up my life? It's a really tough time at, at that age because, you know, the expectation is you've got to go and be an adult and be responsible. And, you know, sometimes, you know, the punk rocker in us wants to go out and, you know, go t- turn it up to 10 or 11. Yeah, that's where the initial thought of that song went from was like, God, am I going to be the person you want me to be? Am I on the right track kind of thing? I love that song. But, you know, I think of that question in a different context today, like specifically because of my family, uh, my wife and my kids, the responsibilities that come with being a, a father and, and a husband in the crazy world that we live in, you know, I constantly question am I being the man that that I need to be for them and um so yeah I think those were heavy issues for you know an 18 19 year old um but certainly questioning everything has always been a big part of my life and that's something that I take very seriously even with my family today so
3: and as we've aged and matured um that lens has changed like we realize that hey people aren't as perfect as we thought we're all struggling we all got something and I think that 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 ideal that we get better every day um, i think that that is more important to me personally than ever like i want to be better than i was yesterday in a lot of ways and to a lot of people i'm matt i'm eric and you're listening to namesake on the antidotes.
1: At only 54 seconds, Question and Answer is one of those ultra-short punk songs, but one with a solid message. Earlier, I spoke about the recording quality of the songs from Demos and Legacy Recordings. Second Fall is one of those tracks that fits into that fairly low-quality slot. You spoke about writing these as a teen, but really, a lot of the topics were really quite mature. I'm thinking about the song Second Fall, where it says, I pray that this won't be misinterpreted. Fading is our moral absolutes. With dead purpose, we stray from the truth. Is it real if it doesn't cost that much? And that song makes it sound as if people purposefully move away from their faith.
3: Yeah, funny you bring that one up, Dave. Uh, So, I remember uh, some trepidation writing that one because – on a surface level, it definitely appears like, uh, what are you saying, man? It sounds like you're calling out all the people that you know, are examples to us. But, I mean, it's in line with that last question. The lens was changing. A lot of people that, that I had looked up to and sought out for an example had let me down repeatedly enough uh, in the guise of being holy, as, as the song talks about. And to me, that's not the way I envisioned that piece of society should be and to me if something is is too hot i move away from it if it's too cold i I try to warm up if it's uh if it's poisonous i spit it out and that that's kind of what i was trying to convey at the time certainly uh through the eyes of a 19 20 year old kid looking at things and kind of i don't know we'll say coming of age a little bit and just learning that a lot of the things i thought were perfect aren't as perfect as i thought
1: You guys have already touched on this, but it's been two decades since those early songs. Now Namesake is back together with a new album, the 20-Year First Impression. I asked earlier on why you created a punk band, and I guess now the big question is, why reunite and do it all over again?
3: Well, Dave, it's really fun.
1: <laughs> and it's a lot of work.
3: I, I don't know. So uh, I'll start. I'll take this one first, Matt, and then you can jump yeah. in. Um, so when Matt kind of moved away, the band never really broke up. And you know, I've always heard the thing that bands don't fail, they just stop, right? You never hear about a band failing. They just stop playing or, or, or they didn't. So we just kind of stopped playing for a little while. And during that time, I was in another band that uh, I sang for, and we released now I and mean, it was super fun. And, uh, you know, there was kind of the midpoint between this reunion and the original Namesake stuff. Um, And we played a kind of a concert with both of my bands. And I thought, man, having Namesake here for kind of almost a 20-year reunion and Hausman's Athletes by the band for like a 10-year reunion. This is just perfect. And it was so fun. You know, the audience was great. We had an amazing turnout and just a super positive night. And it sort of rekindled all those things. And sort of with COVID, we realized that we could, even from a distance, start playing music again. So uh, we had, you know, Matt flew out here and we spent some time in the studio and then we sort of separated to write and work on things. And we were able to kind of rekindle this, this thing that we never really quit. We just didn't have the proximity. And as Friedman talks about the flattening of the world, now we can do a lot of things without having to be in the same room exactly. So here we are. Super fun.
1: You know, it's pretty obvious that the new album has kept the original sound. But what about the message? Has it changed in any way?
0: Yeah, I think it has. Um, I kind of alluded to earlier or spoke about how those original songs were kind of written while we were in a bubble. You know, we lived within the church. We hung out in the church. That The church sponsored the band. But here we are 20 years later where we've had experiences outside of that in the real world that has certainly given us different perspectives in life. And, you know, while we all grew up and the band originally started in that, you know, that Christian punk scene, um, our worlds kind of grew. And I know for me personally, you know, you hear a lot of people that start their music appreciation outside of The world of Christian music and then work inwards. And um, my experience kind of was the opposite, where I was actively in the church. I was exposed to Christian punk rock. Then I started discovering bands and uh, influences outside of the Christian scene that really also helped form my musical tastes and actually... You know, there's some albums by fellow Canadians, Propagandi, and uh, another band called Good that actually made me think about my worldview a little differently too. Those are just two small examples, but you know, life outside of the youth group scene as adults has really provided a much different perception for me personally. Now, this has actually been definitely a talking point within the band because I know while Eric and I tend to be a little more liberal thinking, our bass player Roger and Sammy are a guitar player, they're not. They tend to lean more conservatively. So it's an interesting dynamic to do that because in the world that we live in, and I know I'm going a little off topic, but in our world, you know, whether it's politically, religiously, it's very polarized. And it's not very common that you can get folks from either sides of the aisle to agree, let alone work on something together. And I take great pride that our band has been able to do that. While we may have different perspectives now than we did back then, we're still able to come together and create something special with the core values that don't ever leave, you know, compassion, integrity, you know, uh, acceptance and inclusion; those are all things that, regardless of where our perceptions or perspectives may have changed over the years, those values have never changed. And so, you hear a lot of that in the new record. Um, so, while they aren't, you know, as blatantly evangelical as they were when we were kids, uh, by design, um, there is a lot more intent in the songwriting to encourage the listener to really ask questions of themselves. You know, is this what I believe? You know, I was very intentional when Eric and I started and Sammy and Roger, when we started doing this, What I really wanted to do was almost kind of take the bad religion, you know, songwriting approach and lay out a situation, tell a story in a way that the listener could ask some questions of themselves. What do I really believe? What is the right thing? You know, how would I approach this situation?
1: Actually, all of that comes up on the song 100% when it says, conflicting views don't have to be a cause for hate. Different points of view can be our strength. On the other side, a world that's full of hope and a promise that we want to know—that could be considered a pipe dream, because I've only been seeing the world getting worse.
0: Yeah, it could be a pipe dream, uh, but maybe it couldn't. You know, who's to say? I mean, I think, you know, God can only tell. And really. It's up to the individual to create that own reality based on whatever faith that they have. People are going to view the world in different ways. We choose to believe that there is a hope. Um, And that hope for me could be different for Eric and Sammy and uh, Roger and um, anybody else uh, that might be listening. But I'm reminded of there's a bad religion song um, called Sorrow and there will be sorrow no more from the album process of belief it's basically the story of job and he talks about how when the only true messiah rescues up from the storm there will be sorrow no more now this is bad religion so he's basically taking an outsider's approach to this idea that there will be sorrow no more but really it's kind of a hypothetical situation in in saying, hey, there will always be sorrow. These things may not ever happen. How do we as individuals deal with that? So anyway, that's a long way to kind of talk about where my mentality was in writing some of these songs. Um, But yeah, we choose to believe that there is hope. I know it seems so hard and it seems impossible, but... If our band is any indication, you know, people with conflicting views can come together and create something special. And so we, we choose to hope in that.
3: I'd like to jump in real fast. I remember meeting Mike Herrera, and it was like 1998 at the Electric Ballroom in Tempe. And I remember just for a moment, it was him and I alone in a room. And I remember saying, Mike, are, are you guys still a Christian band? And what he said was, I'm writing lyrics that will make people think. And at the time, I remember being disappointed. And in hindsight, I've learned something about that. Like, I think it's important to write what's authentic, you know, on your mind and on your heart at that point. And I think that that's what Namesake has always done. We've written within the lens that we've been in at the time.
1: percent might have the most challenging lyrics from Namesake. And I do hope that I'm wrong and that it isn't just a pipe dream. Another song that I questioned is up next. I don't always agree with an artist's view, and that does happen on Scars and Shipwrecks. Pain will be a distraction from the memories we hold so dear. When healing comes, you're stronger still. I have a hard time accepting that
0: what specifically
1: that pain will make you stronger mm, mm.
0: I'm, I'm glad you brought it up this song was uh very much inspired by something that i read on uh, reddit and a very good friend of mine wendy that i went to high school with um she had lost her son And I was looking up something to share with her just to share my condolence, you know, because what do you say, you know, to something like that. And I came upon this uh, post on Reddit from G Snow and he talks about grief and he talks about how it never really goes away when something happens It's like you're in a storm out to sea and you've been shipwrecked and at first you're just clinging for whatever scraps of wood or something and you're drowning. You know, the waves are so high and they crash down on you and they, they come so quick that you can barely get a breath out and the pain just continues and continues. But over time, the waves don't ever stop, but you can see how far they are so you can prepare a little better for when they do come. And it still hurts when it comes and it's still, you know, painful and it may never go away. But one of the things it allows you to do is to recognize, hey, when it's coming, you can prepare a little better for the next time. Um, and over time, maybe the, the waves come instead of. Every five minutes, maybe they come every hour, every day, every other day, you know, months and, you know, however long in between. You never know when it's going to hit sometimes. So it, that was kind of the gist. And then he goes on to talk about how when you lose someone, it's almost like a scar. A lot of times when a scar heals, it makes the skin around it stronger than it was before. And that was kind of the thought process. And the guy who wrote this went on to say that by the end of my life, if every love lost is a scar, I would love to have a life full of scars because they represent lots of loves that I've had in my life. There is the pain that stings, but the scar is the reminder of the love that I had and the experiences that we had with that person. So... That kind of was the uh, the thought process behind that song, and I just was moved by it. And certainly other people have deal with grief in their own way and and may disagree, uh, such as yourself, Dave. but um, yeah, that was exactly what I was thinking when when we wrote the lyrics to that song.
1: Stars and Shipwrecks from Namesake's new album, The 20-Year First Impression. I would think that every artist wants to have their songs leaving the listener with something to consider. Maybe they want to change the listener's mind. Whatever route it takes, music should be entertaining, but it should also be thought-provoking. That also happens next week as The Antidote dives into the indie emo rock and punk of Red Weather. Hear all about it during our visit with the band. The last part of our talk with Namesake is up next, along with the song Crossroads and Delusions. I hope you enjoy it, and thanks for tuning in The Antidote.
3: The other thing, Dave, that we haven't really brought up is we're not done with the music we recorded. In fact, I'm the kind of guy who has zero patience, and we actually recorded (laughs) <laughs> significantly more songs than what's on the album and matt has uh, like a discipline to him where he can do it kind of in pieces and we can generate some interest so this first phase is making that 20 year first impression getting the record out there mm-hmm. uh, and then we're probably going to have some more surprises for you in the near future i, I think that there is a-, a bright fun future for us uh, given the amount of fun we had in making this
1: so you mean to say that there isn't going to be a 20-year gap to the follow-up to the 20-year first impression?
3: <laughs> yeah, and that's, that's really just our pace. So the 40-year reunion, uh, hopefully we're all uh, around at that point. I imagine that we will be, and I, I'm sure that we'll still be wanting to make music. I think you're going to see it uh, the pace ramp up, actually, Dave.
1: I guess I should close this up, because I've been keeping you guys so long. But let's talk about a song that really sums up the now and then of namesake. Crossroads and Delusions. Do you ever wish those days had never ended, that the band had just kept going?
3: Sure. I mean, unfortunately, there's a lot of things with life that we can't put the brakes on, right? I I swear I was in my early 20s until about six weeks ago, and all of a sudden I'm 40. And it's (laughs) wild. Uh, Certainly, I would have loved to have... uh, kept doing exactly what we are doing at the time, but it wouldn't have made it so special when we came out with what we just did. To me, it's been a real highlight of the last couple of years, reuniting, playing the show, writing and recording the new record, releasing it together, doing things like this. So no, I don't know that I would go back and change that particular thing. Certainly, there's always things we could have done better, but here we are, and I'm, I'm content with it.
1: And we've got a new album to look forward to, even though the new one's right here, right now.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yeah. More music on the way. I mean, we never really ended. See, that's the thing. We never had like a show that said, oh, this is our last show or anything like that. Life just kind of moved on. But there have been times over the years where I'll call Sammy or, you know, Eric out of the blue and just say man this song just popped up on my playlist uh, this old namesake song we, it was really good and we do regret in some ways not continuing to see where we could have gone you know we're kind of jerks in the way that you know Eric, Eric and I do this a lot where we'll go back and listen to stuff and we'll be like, dude, we were so much better than them. Why didn't we just get our stuff together and like actually do something with it? So, yeah, I do regret um, that we didn't continue in some shape or form just because there's a big part of our lives that um, went without. But I'm thankful that it happened the way that it did because I wouldn't be where I'm at in life um, had anything changed. Had I stayed in Arizona for the band, I wouldn't have met my wife. I wouldn't have had these two beautiful kids. So um, I'm grateful that things play out exactly the way that it did. I'm extremely grateful that we've been able to reconnect and kind of start this process all over again um, all these years
1: later.
3: Uh, in the words of Dewey Cox, one of my favorite musicians, it's a beautiful ride. <laughs>
1: Well, Matt and Eric, thanks, guys, for this talk with The Antidote. It's been really great having you here.
0: Thanks you so much, Dave. Appreciate Dave. it. Pleasure.